Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be for Moroni chapter 6. Now, this is about baptisms and how they're to be done among the members of the church, and so let's go ahead and get into this one. Verse 1, And now I speak concerning baptism. Behold, elders, priests, and teachers were baptized, and they were not baptized, save they brought forth fruit, meat that they were worthy of it. Now, we have to keep in mind that uh, baptism happens before ordinations to priesthood offices, now, even though it makes it sound like it's backwards here, because it says elders, priests, and teachers were baptized, but that means that they were baptized previous to receiving the priesthood. The fruit of faith and repentance includes not only a willingness to be baptized, but also a life that demonstrates that desire and re that desire and reflects a love for the Savior and for his teachings. Thus, an interview is an essential part of preparation for baptism. Repentance and sincere commitment to gospel principles are the indicators of spiritual readiness for the covenant of baptism. And that was by um, Millet and McConkie. Verse 2, Neither did they receive any into baptism, save they came forth with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and witnessed unto the church that they truly repented of all their sins. To have a broken heart and a contrite spirit Elder McConkie said, is to be broken down and with deep sorrow for sin, to be humbly and thoroughly penitent, to have attained sincere and purposeful repentance. Millet McConkie said, this kind of humility is not just sorrow for sin, but is also an attitude of gratitude for the Savior's sacrifice and a recognition of one's total and complete dependence upon his merits and mercy. Verse Three, and none were received unto baptism, save they took upon them the name of Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end. Again, Millet McConkie said, Moroni's description of the, of the qualification for baptism into Nephite Church of Christ shows virtually the same conditions as those listed by the Lord through revelation in this dispensation. Worthiness to be admitted into the church of God on earth is not open to negotiation. These conditions are prescribed by the Lord and are the same from one dispensation to another. Verse 4, And after they had been received unto baptism, and were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, in other words, they, they were confirmed and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they were numbered among the people of the Church of Christ, and their names were taken, that they might be remembered. This perhaps has reference to the Nephite Church's equivalent of our modern-day membership record system. Keeping a record of the members of the Church was not done for the sake of reporting statistics or boasting in numbers, but rather so that each member could be identified and remembered. The purpose is the same today. Members are remembered in that priesthood in that priesthood leaders are kept aware of those in their units in order that that through priesthood quorums and auxiliaries and through effective home teaching <clears throat> or what we might call now ministering, the saints can be spiritually ministered to and encouraged to live the gospel, to be mindful of the need for prayer and to more faithfully rely upon the merciful arm of the Savior. We do not know exactly what procedures and or programs were employed by the Nephite Church to meet these objectives, but we can clearly see that the responsibilities of fellowshipping and nurturing one another of being our brother's keeper <clears throat> is an age-old requirement of all the Lord's saints. 
Continuing the verse, and nourished by the good word of God, President Hinckley said, Every new convert needs three things, a friend in the church to whom he can constantly turn, who will walk beside him, who will answer his questions, who will understand his problems. Two, an assignment, activity in the, in, is the genius of this church. It is the process by which we grow. Faith and love for the Lord are like the muscles of my arm. If I use them, they grow stronger. If I put them in a sling, they become weaker. Every convert des deserves a responsibility. The bishop may feel that he is not qualified for responsibility. Take a chance on him. Think of the risk the Lord took when he called you. Ooh, nice one. And three, every convert must be nourished by the good word of God. It is imperative that he or she become affiliated with the priesthood quorum or the relief society, the young women the young men, the Sunday school, or the primary, he or she must be encouraged to come to sacrament meeting to partake of the sacrament to renew the covenants made at the time of baptism. I am convinced that we will lose but very few of those who come into the church if we take better care of them. Continuing the verse, to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful unto prayer, relying only, or relying alone upon the merits of Christ, <clears throat> who was the author and the finisher of their faith. <clears throat> God the Father is the author of the plan of salvation. Jesus, by divine investiture of authority and as the chief proponent of the Father's plan, is also often referred to as the author of our faith. In some translations of the Bible, this term author is translated as captain. Our Savior is indeed the captain of our salvation and the prime mover of our faith and the source of all righteousness. Another word for author is father. Jesus is truly the father and or author of the salvation of all who come unto him and are born again and thus become his children. Christ is the finisher of our faith in that through our faith in him, he perfects our faith and perfects us. Through his grace, we are saved or in other words, spiritually finished as to immortality and eternal life. It is upon Christ and his infinite atonement that we should focus our hearts, minds and strength. He is indeed the light at the end of the tunnel it is he that, that the scriptures command us to consider as the end of your salvation. Jesus isn't just the end of our, uh, it, it just, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Jesus isn't just at the end of the tunnel. He, he follows us all the way through. Verse 5, and the church did meet together oft. The value of church meetings is not in their frequency, but rather in that coming together often in the spirit of fasting and prayer helps feed the spirit and keep one close to, the, to gospel principles. Just as it is unhealthy and physically dangerous to neglect one's health and nutrition, so is it spiritually life-threatening to go without the spiritual nutrition that comes from meeting together, serving one another, and being taught. Partaking of the sacrament weekly is also an imperative ingredient in a spiritual balanced diet. That was by Anton Lund. He also said that unless the saints attend their meetings, it will be hard for them to keep alive in the gospel. Continuing verse 5, or, and to fast and to pray and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. And they did meet together oft to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. No man goes away from this church and becomes an apostate in a week nor in a month, observed Elder Melvin J. Ballard. It is a slow process. <clears throat> the one thing that one would make The one thing that would make for the safety of every man and woman would be to appear at the sacrament table every Sabbath day. We would not get very far away in one week, not so far away that by the process of self-investigation, we could not rectify the wrongs we may have done. If we should refrain from partaking of the sacrament, condemned by ourselves as unworthy to receive these emblems, we could not endure long and we would soon, I am sure, have the spirit of, re 
have the spirit of repentance, the road to the sacrament table is the path of safety for the Latter-day Saints. Verse 7, And they were strict to observe that there should be no iniquity among them, and whoso was found to commit iniquity, and three witnesses of the church did condemn them before the elders. And if they repented not, and confessed not, their names were blotted out, and they were not numbered among the people of Christ. But as oft as they repented and sought forgiveness with real intent, they were forgiven. Church discipline, too, is an important element of the perfection of the saints' mission of the church. Rooting out iniquity from the institutional church has always been one of the responsibilities of the elders in all dispensations, but there is a more important blessing to the individual that comes from such discipline. The Nephites, like the modern church, sought not only to preserve the spiritual integrity of the institution, but also to help each member repent and walk uprightly before the Lord. Those who misunderstand the mission of the church and the indispensable role of discipline in fulfilling that mission may view excommunication, disfellowshipment, or other formal disciplinary measures as unfairly punitive and humiliating. On the contrary, Theodore M. Burton noted that the most loving action the church can take at times is to disfellowship or excommunicate a person. When deemed necessary through inspiration, these repentance remedies can help the sinner fully realize the seriousness of his transgression. If a serious offense is treated too lightly, it is more likely to be repeated. Such church actions can ensure that the necessary price for repentance is paid. They also serve to mercifully protect the errant person from the full weight and responsibility of his covenants, which if left in full force would bring condemnation upon him in his yet unforgiven state. Through church discipline, a wrongdoer can demonstrate to the Lord, to the church, and to others a sincere desire to repent and be forgiven whatever the cost. This period of, dis of discipline is an opportunity to be, to be retained as a disciple of him who made our repentance possible. If such discipline does not yield repentance, reformation, and forgiveness for the sinner, such discipline still protects the sanctity and purity of the church. To do otherwise is an offense to God, for he declared, And him that repenteth not of his sins, and confesseth them not, ye shall bring before the church, and do with him as the scripture saith unto you, either by commandment or by revelation. And this ye shall do, that God may be glorified, not because ye forgive not, having not compassion, but that ye may be justified in the eyes of the law, that ye may not offend him who is your lawgiver. And that was out of the Doctrine and Covenants, section 64. And that quote was by the Millet McConkie in Doctrinal Commentary of the Book of Mormon. Verse 9, and others, and their meetings were, I'm sorry, let me start over. Verse 9, and their meetings were conducted by the church after the manner of their workings of the Spirit and by the power of the Holy Ghost, for as the power of the Holy Ghost led them whether to preach or to exhort or to pray or to supplicate or to sing, even so it was done. And that's why it's so necessary that the person that presides at a meeting is sitting next to the person that's conducting so that they can make sure that they um, conduct the meeting in the way that the Spirit would want them to. Today, just as in the Nephite church, our meetings should be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. To ensure this, leaders should prayerfully seek the guidance of the Lord in planning meetings, in selecting speakers, and the topics to be addressed, and in the choosing of the sacred hymns of praise. Meetings should be conducted in a reverential manner that will be conducive to the spirit of true worship. This scriptural injunction to see that meetings are conducted after the manner of the workings of the Spirit is not reserved or directed solely to presiding officers. Speakers and teachers should likewise prayerfully seek inspiration that their part will be led by the Spirit.
Congregation members, too, have a sacred obligation to spiritually prepare for meetings and attend them in the proper frame of mind so as to be touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. When all members of the church recognize him who is the head and seek to commune with him through reverent worship as church meetings, then the Spirit of the Lord can be poured out upon the saints. In these circumstances, they understand one another and are edified and rejoice together. I bear testimony that these things are true and that as we uh, draw closer to the Lord, as we keep his commandments, then we can have the gift of the Holy Ghost to be our constant companion. I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.